And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Today, we're going to be talking about the reality check of being an entrepreneur and running a startup. It's, uh, it's not near as glamorous as it sounds. And our guest today, Finn Hodgins, is the founder and CEO of a company called Grouped. We're going to talk about uh, what his company does today, too. They've created a really cool fan kind of community for music artists. Talk more about that today. Um, before we get started, I do want to remind everybody that hiring software developers doesn't have to be a huge pain in the neck. If you need help building a software development team, Fullscale can help you. We have hundreds of employees that work for dozens of startups all over the place, uh, building dev teams that work directly for them. Check us out at fullscale.io. Well, Finn, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm uh, super excited to be here. And uh, yeah, when you reached out, I was, I was definitely pumped. <laughs> yeah, well, it's great uh, following you on LinkedIn. And um, you, you do a good job of marketing yourself and your company on LinkedIn. Uh, that could be like a whole other topic we could talk about today. But yeah. um, do, you get, do you get a lot of uh, customers from that too? No, it's funny. Not many customers. I've had a lot of help from LinkedIn. So okay. we're B2B to C. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, Grouped connects uh, artists to their fans and we give artists a suite of tools so that they can monetize. Uh, it kind of goes back to this thousand true fans principle. Um, for an artist, they get millions of people streaming their music, but really the top 10% of their fans right. are responsible for like 90% of their income. So we give them the tools to monetize those fans in a community. Um, but so for us, it's artists aren't on LinkedIn. Um, what I've had, I like people like yourself who have helped me with tech, um, people like a gentleman named Brian really helped me with financials and raising money. Um, so for me, people who have helped move, uh, the ball forward for my business on the admin side as a young first time founder, that's where LinkedIn has been, uh, really super valuable for me. Um, and that's why I yeah. continue to create. Yeah. Well, and that's how you and I connected and yep. you needed help, some help with like a, some tech help one day and I recommended somebody to you and that was helpful to you and here you are on the podcast, right? Yep. So still being on LinkedIn has helped you. So glad, you know, in, in other ways. Yep. And when you connected me with him, I looked at his LinkedIn and yeah, so he was creating content and, you know, you build the trust that way. You, you get to know someone. It, it helps break the ice on a call. So I love it. Well, I have good news for you. So... I'm going to guess your dream customer for Grouped would be Taylor Swift, right? If you could get Taylor Swift, that would be like the ultimate prize, right? Yeah, I, I, I'd retire. <laughs> okay, well, I have good news. I'm in Kansas City, and I'm like two degrees of separation from Travis Kelsey. He bought a new house that's like almost in my neighborhood. I heard about I that. I could hit his house with a golf ball from the golf course. And I think I think when everybody drives by his house on the golf course now, they're going to like blare Taylor Swift music, yeah. I think. I think that's going to be a requirement. So 
if I can catch her and she's there, I will try and sell her on group for you. Okay. Cool. We'll set you up. We'll, we'll get you a golf ball <laughs> you can drive and we'll write a little note on it. And you just try to drill it through the window. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's it's been funny. like the fun, fun, like entertaining sort of like rumor, you know, here in Kansas City, and especially even in yeah. like my neighborhood, because he's like buying the house like right here. So um it's been a, a fun time in Kansas City with all of that. Like you go to the airport and they have like for Halloween, we had like little pumpkins and one's yeah. decorated as Taylor Swift and one's decorated. It's like been this whole, whole funny thing. But, but in all seriousness, what your, your goal is to help somebody like Taylor Swift, like monetize their fan fan yep. base. I don't think she has any struggles with that, but smaller artists definitely do. Yep. Right. Like how do you, how do you help them? Like what, what, yeah, what do you so do? They can use groups um, a lot of ways. One. So the power of community is huge. Just getting those thousand true fans in one spot is what we've seen uh, just be tremendous for artists. So for artists to be able to offer fans exclusive music behind the scenes, like taking them behind the process of creating that music. So I'm in the studio. I'm working on a song. Yeah. Your core fan base really wants the opportunity to be a part of that creation process. So for artists to be able to create this backstage community and charge fans $9 a month, or some artists do $50 tiers where they'll do a live stream with their fans every month and answer their questions direct, send them merch every month, basically giving artists the ability to create a fan club um, to reward those loyal fans is what we're doing. And it goes beyond the artist monetizing for the artists, it also acts as a CRM tool so they can just directly contact them, kind of avoid the algorithm being in between like on social media. Um, we give them tools to directly email other community members. We'll have SMS in the future, push notifications on the app. And um, the artist also gets great research. They'll put up early music in the community and they'll do like polls and they'll ask their fans who are their most diehard fans Um hey, what do you guys think I should release on Spotify and streaming platforms? And they'll get hundreds of votes out of the you know catalog they put in the group. And so for the artists, they get this market research too from their kind of um, real diehard fans that allows them to just make better decisions uh, when they push things to market. So how in the world did you come up with this idea? <laughs> so it's funny, Claire, my wife, is a content creator and she makes healthy recipes. Um, and originally she wanted to launch a subscription business and the only options were OnlyFans, and, and she was not going to get on OnlyFans for obvious reasons. Uh, there's no recipes there. And then Patreon, um, which she didn't like the stigma of Patreon. Patreon has, um, kind of this ask for money stigma. It's, it's literally in the name patron. Um, yeah. and she didn't want to come across as desperate or trying to get donations from her followers. Yeah. She wanted to create a digital business. Um, and so she was kind of the guinea pig. My background was in influencer marketing too and e-commerce. So I, I validated the idea or, or I thought I did. Maybe this is another mistake we can talk about. Um, but I had asked a bunch of influencers if they had a similar problem to Claire where there wasn't a good space for them to um, kind of combine only um, Patreon and Discord in a white labeled manner where you can create subscription revenue and build a community and contact. Yeah. Um, and so a bunch of people said, yes, I built it, launched it. Claire crushed it as the first group. And then I struggled to find product market fit in that health and fitness space. Um, I met a partner named Tim Weber who lives in Nashville. He sold a music blog. If anyone's familiar with good music all day, um, they sold in 2015. They were huge. Um, so he knows all these artists. He had been trying to solve a problem during COVID because artists' big source of revenue is touring. Um, and once touring got cut off, a bunch of artists were stuck and they were like, how do I make money? So they were searching for alternative income streams. 
And the idea of creating a subscription community um, was there. And Tim was really trying to help artists do it. And we had just built the best tech for it. Um, ended up getting connected with him. He got on a bunch of artists. Um, when I saw the way fans engaged with other fans in the community, that fan to fan community, I realized we had a lot more than just a subscription platform. Like there's a lot of engagement here. People are posting their tattoos of their favorite artists. People are making like March Madness brackets of like their favorite songs with the artist is made and other fans are chiming in, reposting the bracket. And I was like, holy smokes, this is a, a, a really loyal group of people, uh, fans of their favorite artists. Let's dive into this. And I found product market fit there. And we just started rolling, getting on some of the biggest independent guys. And now we're gearing up to launch some label artists. Well, and, and one of the, the key things I want to repeat there is when you started out with this idea, it was around, didn't you say health and fitness? Healthy recipes. So kind recipes. of, yeah. yeah, yeah. So healthy so, food. So yeah. So it started with that, with your, with your wife and yep. pivoted to this. Right. And so that, that's really cool that, that you do that. And then you said it was from this other gentleman that you had met kind of gave yep. you the idea. Did, did he end up becoming like a business partner or yep. how did he end up? Yeah. So he's a business partner. Um, and he, we, I, I ran a trial with him. So I knew I needed to find product market fit. He told me the problems. We started with two artists. It went well. And then we kind of had this understanding, like he has a great network. Um, like I said, he sold a music blog in that artists used to get discovered back then. So he literally knows everyone. And I was just like, if you can get a bunch of artists on the platform, I'll partner with you and, and we'll focus on music, at least for the first year or two years a big thing with grouped is going to be if we go vertical and launch products for artists specifically as we grow or go wide like we have comedians launching on the platform now um because it's it's a very viral type of product when an artist posts to get fans in other people see it and they want to do it so yeah that's kind of a down the line thing but when i yeah i knew i needed product market fit to create that kind of snowball and he helped me do it with uh, the artists and, and that was big time for groups. Well, and, and so this brings up another topic that there's obviously other platforms out like out there like this, right? You have OnlyFans and there's yep. a bunch of knockoffs of OnlyFans that are mostly yeah. kind of illicit as well mm -hmm. that are in that kind of category. Then you've got Patreon, you have even YouTube, you can sign up as a fan or like paid yep. subscriber to a, a group and yep. Twitter slash X does that. I use something called Substack. And Substack, so on right. Substack, yeah. you can pay and, and have different member levels and stuff. But to, to your point, it's like you almost have to figure out, are you, want, are you trying to build something more generic like Substack or Patreon or something like that, or trying to go really deep in a specific niche yep. and kind of OnlyFans is in a, kind of ended up in their own niche, right? Yep. But it's like, do you guys create a niche that is for performers, like could be yep. maybe comedians, like, is it people that are trying to interact with their fans yep. or do you have ideas of other verticals that you would go to? But then the thing is like, does that dilute you? You're like, well, they need all this special functionality. If I add all this other crap to it, like then it's not the same anymore. Like that, that's part of the, the struggle as a startup is like, or you, like you said, you're going deep or wide. Exactly. And we've found that by focusing on music, creating content for artists, building audio players and, and specific features for the streaming experience, we've been able to already onboard like three artists bigger than the biggest artists on Patreon. And they're a billion dollar company. Wow. So just by hammering in on what they need and solving their problems, that's kind of why we've seen this explosive growth. Um, and that's one of the biggest lessons for me is like staying super focused on a niche 
um, and just solving their problems, listening to them, that really helps create speed um, in terms of growth. And and the way I look at it, and, and I'm still a young founder, but if we start getting other people interested in using the product, you know, champagne problems, we'll, we'll kind of take it day by day at that point. But our focus as a company is let's serve these artists and maximize yeah. that and then kind of go from there. Yeah, it's like your to what your wife was originally trying to do around healthy recipes, like maybe she could have did that on Substack. Yep. Right. Yep. Maybe. But with what you're doing now, you're like, oh, we'll have to integrate with all this music stuff and Spotify and SoundCloud and maybe help them sell merch or how they advertise their tours. Like, you know, Substack doesn't do any of that, no. right? That's where you're creating this like very specific stuff. And, and that's the struggle as an entrepreneur. You're like, well, yeah. do I keep going deep? Because to really own this niche, I'm going to have to go deep and build all these like special things yeah. where somebody like Substack's like, oh, we're just going to be kind of generic to everything. Yeah. And, and not not necessarily be the best solution at anything. Yeah. And they do a great job, which adds to the problem. Like going to compete with a Substack for us trying to get a bunch of they do, you know, a lot of coaches use Substack and, and people like yourself mm -hmm. who are experts in in a field um, and leverage email marketing. Like I, they rock. And I would not want to compete with them and then because it would just add time to our um, you know, roadmap and stuff. Same thing with fitness. There's apps like Playbook who just crush it. Um and so this was really our lane. Um and yeah. Awesome. Well, so let's talk about some of the the reality check of of being an entrepreneur and, and you got the first reality check where the the first business idea didn't 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 end up being the idea, right? You were smart and you pivoted, which is great. And you found something that's been super successful. Tell us, um, what, what was, what was one of the other first reality checks that you got from this, um, from the so, very beginning? Yeah. Uh, building the platform initially, I thought I needed millions of dollars. And so my focus was, I need to raise money. I need to raise money. Um, and I kind of pushed off, getting customer feedback, doing customer discovery, building some sort of MVP creatively. Um, I just thought money would solve all of our problems. Um, I came to realize pretty quick, raising money is, is a lot harder than it looks as a first time founder um, with no traction. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, it's very hard. And so that to me, was the first reality check of like, okay, I need to figure out how I can build something really cheap that works and can start to get the ball rolling. Um, at least so I can start to convince maybe it's developers to work on equity, um, small angel investors to, to give us some fuel so that we can continue to go. Um, but I just had a backwards approach at first when it came to funding groups um, and getting it to market. So how long did you chase that money like you I mean did you spend like months chasing money and made no progress on the on the product because you just were dedicated yeah. to finding the money yeah so we basically built a pitch deck found how we were going to spend the money which was also a mistake so if, if we had raised this thousand dollar pre-seed money i thought i needed i would have probably blew that money on thing building this beautiful product that would have found the the beautiful product graveyard as smart entrepreneurs say when you don't have any customers on a product that looks great um, but I tried for like two months, two and a half months to raise money. I, I had a great pitch deck. I cold outreach like every VC I could find online that said pre-seed. Um, and I learned a lot through that. Um, I learned, yeah, that it took about two and a half months. Um, and then basically I realized I needed to get creative in how we build an MVP. I, I realized it didn't have to be 
super sexy. Um, I just needed a way to get the ball rolling or grouped would never be a thing. Um, so I just put up some of my own capital, um, found college students. And this was probably a mistake too. I, I basically the first version of group I tried to build didn't make it uh, to market. Um, I was kind of taking poor advice, like find college students, build a product. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, that did not work for me either. I want to go back to your, your fundraising thing for a second. So yeah, when you yeah. called all these VCs that advertise that they do seed funding, why, was there a, a specific theme of why they all said no? Was it because you didn't, have, you didn't actually have a product yet? You had no revenue? Like, wh what, what did you hear over and over again from them? A lot of them asked for if we even had like LOI, um, letters of intent. So customers, okay. like a lot of them looked for if we had put up landing pages and got some sort of validation. The big thing was we had no validation at all, even though I had told them that through conversations, I had people tell me they would use the product, which isn't validation. And the VCs were right because um, all of those people didn't really end up using our product. Um, but I think the biggest thing was any sort of traction. I, I just had no communication with customers. I didn't have anything to go off of. I was strictly running off of assumptions and trying to pitch a vision, which for some people, I think it, it works. But for where I was, I was 23, um, you know, first time founder, it just was not going to move the needle for us. So then you mentioned you, you tried to have these college students help you build a product and, and had some problems with that. So then ultimately you just decided to put up some of your own money and build the MVP. That was the next stage. Yeah. So I got $40,000 from friends and family um, in investment after I realized I wasn't going to raise any big money and I hired an agency. So there was two big mistakes I made on, on development. Number one was I hired a, a flashy agency um, for like $30,000 to ideate our, our product. So basically they would like take what was out of my head and put it on Figma screens. Um, and for obvious reasons, that was just a very big waste of money to get a bunch of screen designs. Um, and so that really left me dry. Um, so then I had like $10,000 left and I had to figure out how I was going to get those designs to market. And so through advice from angel investors, which I think a lesson I learned too is be very careful who you, you take your advice from. Um, I thought hiring two college students uh, who were part-time um, to build a, a way too big of an MVP would be the solution. So I had them build this project that was just way overfleshed. Um, they ended up not finishing it. And so I was basically left with no money and I needed to figure it out. And the only thing that really kept me going was the fact that I had raised from family. And I was like, I, I don't want to have wasted their money. Um, yeah. So I pointed up my own cash. I found Thanksgiving would have been hard this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I found a great, through a mutual friend, I found a dev shop that was able to execute on an MVP for a fixed price. So I knew I was going to get a finished product for what I paid that would work. Um, I okay. had built a great contract with contingencies, basically guaranteeing I would get a product that worked for what I was looking for. And, and that's what Claire launched on. And she made eight grand her first month. And from there, we just kind of, I, I was able to then sell it to people yeah. To, yeah, to invest. So what, yeah. did, what did you have to end up spending to get that next version? 40,000. 40, um, 
and I did not have 40,000. So credit cards and personal loans were a good friend of mine at that time. <laughs> Dude, my first company, I was there. I always tell people my main investor was Visa and MasterCard. Yeah, yeah. I uh, Yeah, I got them as investors. You wouldn't believe it. I know. Discover, <laughs> <laughs> Discover and Visa. Yep. They were great investors. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Small community bank upstate New York gave me a loan. I forget what I told them I was using it for. I definitely had to finagle it though. Um, but yeah, got the job done. <laughs> well, this might be an appropriate time to mention if you need help building a development team, full scale is another great option for you. That's, yeah. that's what we do too. But the that's great that you found a team that worked. Like that's all that really matters, right? Be it full yeah. scale, whoever it is, it doesn't matter. I, I think the key to this story is it only costs you $40,000 ultimately to build the MVP. Now, I bet all the work that you did in building the the designs up front was super expensive, but it probably wasn't a waste, right? Like that probably helped the development team later move a lot faster because they knew what they were building. Yeah. So actually great. There's a, a funny story out of this. So Claire my wife was helping me a lot early on in that process. And that $30,000 we spent on the designs, she was in the Figmas with them and basically self-taught herself with them through what they were doing. So she learned how to whip up Figma. She learned how to create prototypes. So I think the best uh, thing that came out of that $30,000 was her education because she was then able to continue to design. Because we the the big mistake I made with that $30,000 maybe wasn't spending it it was what I thought I needed to ideate. So I went out there, we had this humongous app fleshed out, like a, a version that would take us like three years to develop. But I, yeah. that's what I had all the screens and mockups done for and the user stories and stuff. And it was just ultimately a waste of time. I didn't research the minimum viable product side of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so... I mean, some of it's not a waste of time, right? Some of it was yeah. super valuable. And and maybe in your three-year vision, it was super valuable to go through the process and think about all of it. What could we do? Like we could sell merch, we can integrate with this, right? I'm thinking you're thinking about all these things, right? The challenge is you might spend weeks or or whatever doing all that planning. And then the reality is when you actually are running a business, you get like halfway through that. And then maybe you pivot again and don't even do half the shit you spend all the time planning, right? Exactly. There's a diminishing return there of like, it was great to ideate about all this, but if we don't do any of it, it was also a waste of time. There's exactly. there's like a balance there somewhere too. And the lesson is, had I been constantly talking to customers at that time, even while we were building the designs, like, hey, Influencer X who creates fitness content, like, what do you think about this? Would this solve your problem? I would have saved a lot of time and money in not continuing to build out what was in my head, but was never validated with customers or the market. So then did have you since raised some some capital or you're still still running on discover yeah so we're no <laughs> thankfully not um although a couple of times discover has still come to the rescue uh we've raised uh, about three hundred thousand dollars from friends okay. families, and angels um so this story was two and a half years ago now of that agency um we launched two years ago so that's when the second agency okay. dev shop came in and, and built the final product actually a year and a half ago 18 months um, so since then we've been able to raise, yeah, $300,000, mostly from people either in my, f- uh, friends and family, kind of a, a layer beyond that. And then people in the music industry. So managers of artists who see the vision, um, ex- just executives in the space, they've put in some money. Okay. Awesome. So do you see yourself doing another round in the future? Like, do you think you're going to need to go raise more money or do you think from here on out, you can kind of bootstrap it? 
So now we're raising um, money to fund. Um, we're growing very fast. And so the challenge for me is, is kind of keeping up with that growth um, and making sure we don't botch it. So we're, we're raising money right now, 1.5 million. We're 200,000 committed um, in that raise. Development is a huge part of that. We want to build a mobile app. We're still kind of MVP. Um, we're getting hammered by fans and artists for requests on a mobile app. Um, we've built such a cool, cool group of customers and, and kind of a cult. Like you mentioned Travis Kelsey earlier on his last Instagram post on, on the podcast he had, we had two, two customers, a group comment saying, you guys need to put uh, an exclusive podcast on at join group. They tagged our Instagram. Um, so really just trying to, we have a, a great opportunity here. We're sort of going viral in a way. Um, and I want to continue to kind of explode the, you know, keep the curve going up and then really grow rapidly and keep up with that. So we need some help on the account manager front as well. Internally, I'm, I'm pretty spread thin and, and Tim is as well, who's my partner. So just things to fund that, but I'm trying to raise very strategically, um, in the sense where it's a rolling rounds, uh, safe note. Uh, I know we'll have a, a big round in the future. So it's it's really just what we need to get us um, to a point where I believe we'll be very cash flow, profitability basically, where we can run off our cash if we need to. Um, and so I'll be you know with a lot more leverage um, when we do go to that big round. That's kind of my goal with this. Yeah. And so is your model that I sign up as a consumer and I pay nine dollars a month or whatever to be a Swifty, and then you take. 5% of that or like what, how does your guys' platform work? Like what is your model? We, we take 10%. Um, okay. We have a service where we'll take 20% if the creator wants uh, extra advice on how they can make okay. more money. So we have experienced uh, team members who like we have a creator on our platform, Mike, he's an artist. He makes uh, almost a million dollars a year. And his team has joined our company to help consult other artists. Um, and if they want that consulting on just best practices, how to promote it, we'll take nice. an extra 10%. And then we're adding another stream of income. I, I, I don't want to say too much about it yet, but one of the beautiful things about Grouped is we also control all the money. We're on the payment side. Um, so we're going to make some moves on the payment processing front that will increase our revenue pretty significantly as well. We have a lot of transactions going through the platform, yeah. um, which is a big opportunity. Yeah. We, we've had a couple companies on the podcast that if you're doing the credit card charging like this, like all of a sudden you can make like 1% of the credit card fees or something yeah, yeah. kind of deal. Right. Yeah. So, so um, that's exciting for us. We, um, with our current business model, just 10%, it takes a lot of volume for us to earn uh, the money we need, you know, to, to be profitable or cover expenses. So adding revenue streams on the payment processing front can really supercharge that. Yeah. So that's why we're doing that. Um, yeah. So do you, do you have problems sleeping at night thinking that like somebody like Taylor Swift signed up with this tomorrow, like it would crush your servers? Like how yeah, would you so scale this thing? Like, does that, does that keep you up at night? Yeah. So funny enough, when I reached out to you, I was having trouble sleeping because we had a, that guy, Mike launching. Um, and, and he basically was transferring over. He had a million dollar subscription business on another platform that was going under. Um, they were from Latin America. They were really not a good platform. Um, and he was coming over to groups and I knew we'd get a huge hit um, from him yeah. telling the chance to transfer over. 
uh, we ended up processing like over 2000 payments in like four hours or something crazy. Um, and, and so I was like, and, and the month before that, we had our first creator with a million Instagram followers launch and he did a live stream on the platform and, and everything went down. And I knew Mike was coming. I knew his yeah. launch was looming. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have like three weeks to figure out why this guy crashed our platform and button it up. And that's when I contacted you. You introduced me to Keith and, and we, we figured it out, which was amazing. And now we have the domino effect of Mike, which is a bunch of big creators launching between now and Christmas. Uh, but luckily, I, I feel really good about where we are and how we can handle that scale. But yeah, definitely... You know, it, it we're getting big people signed up. Our first label artist is launching uh, this month, and so making sure we're ready for that. Like I said, my biggest fear is honestly growing too quick. Um, yeah, and I I will do everything I can to make sure that does not. You got to focus on quality at this point, yeah. right? It's more about quality, uptime, performance. Like, yep. don't screw it up is more yep. important than adding like one new feature. Yeah. And it's a tough market because, you know, everyone says you build an MVP. It's okay if it looks crappy and is band-aided and stuff. Um, you know, you piece things together. But for us, we have very um, particularly, they're celebrities. Like our clients are celebrities yeah. used to a certain level of quality. And so we need to deliver things that look good and work good, like right off the bat, which has also been a challenge. Like there's expectations with our platform that we have to meet. Um, and artists are very concerned with the experience their fans are going to get, especially if they're charging their fans money. Um, yeah. So that's millions adds, of dollars to them, right? Yeah. Like if your yep. site goes down or any yeah. of that, like you're adds, costing them money. It adds a lot of pressure. Um, yeah. So that combined with the fact that we have guys launching who are going to bring us 20,000 users that day. Um, it definitely, that's, that's why we're raising the money. Um, it's just, we need yeah. to make sure that all that is buttoned up. Yeah. Yeah, and this is a unique challenge that a lot of startups don't have. Like, so my my company at Capacity, a, a little digital marketing kind of company, there's like, we need like one server with one CPU. Like, we will never have any kind of traffic. Like, none of this matters. And, and even if our software is down for an hour, like nobody would care because yeah. we just control ads on Google and the ads are still going to work, right? Yeah. But for you, you, you could have like no traffic. You're like eight in the morning and you get like a hundred visitors in an hour. And then like in the afternoon, somebody releases a new album and you get like a million website visitors in an hour, yeah, right? Exactly. Like that's a whole different set of problems and challenges that a lot of people have never had to deal with before. Yeah. And engineering things to scale, like we talk about scaling startups and scaling businesses, like you have like a legitimate, you know, challenge here that you've, you've really got to work on. And it's a hard challenge. Yeah. And we've had like last month, we got our first AWS bill since our serious scale. And it was uh -oh. like, oh, yeah, it was like, oh boy, there's another thing I wasn't anticipating because of the way we initially built it, um, which, you know, we, we were pulling a lot of reads. And so the APIs just weren't optimized for a cost. And so I got whacked with a huge bill. People stream on our platform all day, like, because people upload exclusive music. So people are literally oh. sitting there with the platform open, listening to it all day. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of hours spent consuming our content. And I just got the first bill, you know, AWS kind of, I don't know exactly how it works, but the bill I got recently was for September and it was like, oh boy. Um, so optimizing that, again, it makes me rethink how much- There's a reality check for you. Yeah. The AWS bill check. shows up. Yeah. So yeah, that's all been a challenge. And I think we, we did, I got lucky because building it, 
I think through some of the mistakes I made, I still was always able to find like the perfect people for the right moment. So like being able to build the MVP with that dev shop for cheap and get me to the next stage, it ended up being perfect. Like I wouldn't go back and, and change it because it worked. Um, so I think a lot of times when you're an entrepreneur, like there's a lot of shiny advice out there, um, but ultimately it's about what works and what gets you to the next step um, from what I've learned. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a big lesson is I'm going to get punched in the face a lot, but as long as the things I did that caused me to get punched in the face, aren't bad enough to make me get knocked down and I can just eat the punches and keep going. That's kind of why, you know, I, I feel good about the way we've done it. I like that eating the punches. Yeah. Eating the punches. It's like, cause I they're like going to happen. I mean, you, you know, bugs like Instagram, I work with this guy, Brian, he's been very helpful. And he always reminds me, Instagram went down 300 times a day when they were scaling. And it's like, you know, it happens in tech. We, we can do our best, but for me, it's about how I respond to that. Um, you know, keeping cool so the developers don't freak out because I don't want to lose them. Um, you know, I want to keep them motivated and going well. It's all, that's a lot of what I've learned in this scaling is managing people on a team. Um, yeah. Because it's not like I can't do anything if the tech goes down. I'm non-technical. Right. So for me, I have to rely on other people and put a lot of trust in them. So a lot of times I feel like my job is just keeping them motivated and, and bought into the mission so that they're willing to, on an eight, you know, 8.30 on Friday night, fix something um, because we have a big artist doing a live stream. Like that to me is why I, I feel like we have such a good thing going here is we have a lot of people bought into what we're doing. So you still don't have any kind of technical co-founder or CTO or like true engineering lead that works for you? Fractionally, I have a few people who help out a lot. Um, I really want to find, yeah, a full-time CTO. That's still kind of what we're doing. Um, in, in, yeah. So we have lead engineers stateside. Um, we have people in-house, but no, and we have a lot of people available full-time on the project. So I haven't run into an issue where no one can fix something, but no CTO yet. And I just point that out because you, you've done it. You've got this far without a technical co-founder. You maybe made some mistakes in the early stage with paying for all the wireframes and, you know, all in and some of the stuff, but you still managed to get here. You still managed to make it work without a, a, a technical co-founder. Do you wish that you would have had one? It's a really tough question. Like I said, I wouldn't go back because it worked. I see the value now in terms of, it would have saved me a lot of money. Um, I think if you don't have a technical co-founder, it's going to cost you more, period. Like you have to put a lot more faith in these dev shops and you have to understand how to negotiate deals with them. And, and for me, I had to be a project manager. So that group would not have worked if I did not teach myself how to be a project manager, um, how to make sure things were getting done um, on the dev side and be extremely involved, which I don't think a lot of people are willing to do because I was up at 4am a lot of times working with overseas people staying up till, you know, the same time sometimes a lot of people don't have the personality either right they're not yeah. detail oriented enough or yeah they don't they they keep changing their mind they want yep. to do too many things like they and then the development team goes crazy because they're like well, yeah. last week you told us this and this week you told us this and and you're not as familiar about you know building software so you just think like we'll just magically get it done come on why yeah. is it done yet i told you last week what's the deal you know the development team is like ready to jump out the window 
Yeah. And, and honestly, that experience I'm thankful for too, because it now taught me how to lead a development team in terms of expectations and kind of protect the guys. So now I know if, yeah. if something's urgent, I know when to push people to do it or when it's just not the right time um, and stuff like Good that. Good for you. So Good it, for you. Yeah. It really helped me just know how to lead a team. Um, but if I were my next startup, I will, I will have a, a CTO um, just because I think it lets me do what I do best from the start, which is sell, um, and market like, I'm, and, and so that's, that's the only reason I would start with the CTO. I would also have a, a lead or head engineer at first, um, with a really great, um, overseas team I built a relationship with. I don't understand a lot of times why, and maybe I'm just too young, but why people are so against that, um, in the investment world, that seems to be a trend I've run into where like three quarters of the investors just really don't like the idea of having overseas developers. Um, so I think maybe. that a hybrid solution is the best, right? So yeah. I, I have 300 employees in the Philippines that do develop, software development for other companies just like yourself. Yep. And even I will be the first one to say, I think a hybrid solution is the best. It's great mm -hmm. if you have a CTO, a lead developer, director of software engineering, a product owner, what, what you know, whatever the different roles are, at least somebody yeah. that works for you that is the leader of this thing. Because odds are most dev agencies that you're using are usually more about execution. You tell them what mm -hmm. to do and they'll go do it. Yep. If you're hiring one that is like highly strategic around, you know, what the product, the product planning, like you described earlier, like, well, we spent $30,000 just doing wireframes. Like yeah, yeah. it's super expensive. I mean, you may pay two or $300 an hour for some consultants that do that kind of work versus hiring consult, you know, software developers from a company like myself or, or yeah. the one you use that maybe they charge 20, 30, $40 an hour to do yeah. development work. Like it's extremely yeah. affordable. Um, there's a huge Delta there. And, and obviously I think ultimately you need a, a mix. You, you need mm -hmm. the, the mix of some local talent that can help be the, the lead engineers, the architecture of the product own all yeah. of that, but then be able to feed some of that work to other lower cost resources yeah. that that hybrid mix is the best, is the best solution. Yeah. And I think if you don't have a CTO as a founder, you have to be willing to get your hands dirty in that stuff when it comes to just managing it and figuring out how to help with the designs and the product and really make sure what you want is articulated. Um, because if you just hand a, a dev shop or an outsource team or even US-based lead engineers uh, a loose instruction book um, and you're not clear with what you want, things are going to take a long time and, and not get executed. Mo yeah. Most software developers are focused on delivering code like delivering yeah. work yeah. they don't necessarily think about delivering value right they don't think as much about like what is the most valuable and the priority and what does the customer want whatever they're more like hey i just want to do my job tell me what to do i'll go write the code and then i'm done for the day yeah. you know and and you still have to have those higher level people that think more about strategy and the product and the business mm -hmm. and that that's where ctos and product people generally come in yeah yeah exactly so that 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 it's it's a chicken and egg too sometimes, you know, you, you yeah. get so far in uh, with doing it one way, it becomes harder to pivot and do it the other yeah. way. So you kind of have to make it work for a little longer. And then on top of that, you know, one way might be perfect for your financial situation at the time, wherever your, your money resources are at. So, so along the way here, you had to learn to be a product owner and project manager. And what other kind of crazy stuff did you have to learn along the way here? You never thought you'd have to learn. 
uh, raising money is a, is very challenging. Um, I think the biggest part behind that is just all the stuff legally, safe notes. Um, what is equity? Equity has been it, it, equity is the most complicated thing. I did not think would be complicated coming in. You always think a hundred percent. I'm going to get 5%, 10%. Like when you don't know what a startup really is when it's incorporated, um, there's a lot to learn there just in terms of setting it up um, with, you know, this, how many shares you're going to issue, equity pools, what you want to give up, what is like fair to give up. Um, and there's so many different terms, preferred stock, not preferred stock, you know, liquidation preferences, all that. And oh, everyone yeah. wants something different. So that as a founder, I think is very important that you, you know that A to Z. Um, and understand it. I think it gives you a big edge. Um, and, and that's something that I really uh, took it upon myself to study and learn. Um, and then strategy is an interesting one too, because at first you just want to move fast and kind of break stuff, which I think is great. Um, but there does come a point where you have to take a step back and, and just look at everything um, a little more strategically uh, long-term and plan how you're going to grow, how you're going to aggregate the resources um, and what type of position you want to be in at each milestone, you know, leverage wise. Um, I don't think people think about that. And I've been lucky just through LinkedIn to meet people who have taught me to think like that. Um, but that's been a big learning experience too. Before we talked or before we started recording, we were talking about uh, how sexy it is to be a CEO. Do you still think it's really sexy? Um, no, it's not. It's like everyone <laughs> wants to be the CEO. And it's so funny because I would so much rather just found a company and find a great CEO. I mean, not really. It's like a love hate relationship. But I think I think the goal in life or, or the goal for an entrepreneur is really to be a great founder and to be able to find great CEOs. Um, because that's just way easier. I think being a CEO is you get it's all your fault. Um, you know, when something you get all the wrong. problems that nobody yep. else knows how to solve or doesn't exactly. know what to do with. And you're so in the business, you're not focused on what's going great. And you're not really keeping an eye on, oh, wow, we grew another 10,000 users because you're so focused on solving the biggest problem that you think is going to blow the company up the next day. So it's very hard to enjoy what's going well when you need to solve the problem to continue that growth. And so sometimes it's, you just deal with problems every day. You deal with problems every day. And it's, it's you know, hard to have to uh, get rid of people. That's not easy. And, and you have to take ownership for that too. And just ego wise, a lot of times you have to drop it to take the lesson from things. So, you know, you take all the punches and the arrows, uh, but yeah, it, it's, I think when people do it and found a company, they should really know kind of how painful it is. Like you have to put in a lot of work at the beginning to see very little progress before things start moving. Um, yeah. You have to be willing to be very patient. Um, the the yeah. exciting thing is at some point in time, it's like you spend all of your effort, like spinning the flywheel to get the machine yep. going, right? Yep. And then you're kind of at that stage now where you're at that tipping point where it's like now the machine is going and it's going to keep going, yep. like almost no matter what, it's just going to keep going, which is great. And then it, your job is just like to keep it going and, and fine tune it and improve it. But you get that flywheel going, it just keeps going. And like yeah. somehow or another, new people sign up. Somehow or another, some yeah. artist found us, you know, like all these things just keep happening. You're like, I don't even know why, but we're doing something right. And then here it goes and it just keeps going. And yeah. that's when it, it gets to be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it is fun. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun too, especially, you know, I'm not going to lie, like having 
more people recognize what you're doing, being a more known company, especially in Nashville, where we're the music city and people know us. Um, So there, there's a lot of, it's, I'm proud to have started this company here. Um, And it's fun when people know what you're doing and it, it adds a layer of excitement. But I always just remind people, like, like you said, pushing the flywheel, some, like everyone sees how quick we've been growing in three months. Like it took two years to get yeah. it together. And in those two years, like we processed like, you know, eight, not a lot of money at all. Like nothing was going well. It was mostly pain. Asking you ate a lot of punches for two years. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you just have to be willing to do that and you have to be prepared to do that. Like I, I, it, it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been a fantastic story. Um, reminder everybody that if you do need help building a development team full scale is a great option for you we do work companies just like Finn's uh, we have 60 different customers we we do work for a lot of startups um, all of our employees are in the Philippines and that helps you uh, hire developers for 60-70% less than you can normally hire them for um, so Finn um, as we round out the show today I will remind everybody to that um, again this is Finn Hodgins your website is grouped.com Correct. group ed.com if anybody out there knows taylor swift and can get her convinced to sign up for grouped uh finn would be uh really appreciative he's a closet swifty and and he's really hoping this is going to happen but um any final ad- you know advice for other entrepreneurs that are, that are listening today i think if you want to do it do it um that's what i would say because it is the best thing you could do um and if just start. That's, that's my advice. Like, you know, it's, you can do all the research you want. Nothing's going to happen until you just start. Um, and all you're going to do by over-researching is scare yourself out of it. So I think ignorance is bliss in entrepreneurship. I'm very thankful. I had no idea any of the issues I would run into before I started, because if I knew them, I would not have started. Um, and it's amazing to be able to kind of create your own freedom, um, as an entrepreneur. So start, that's what I would say. Um, that's how I'd wrap it up. Awesome. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.